10, 15 years ago, many of you probably uh, can remember, there was a, a book that came out that became an international bestseller by the name of Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus by the author John Gray. Anybody ever read that book? Okay, several of you have. It became a bestseller probably because this book started talking about some things that really became politically incorrect for a long time. And with uh, the women's equality movement and feminism and all that kind of stuff, there was a real, uh, there was a real belief system that was, that, was being, uh, that was being pushed on people that women and men are fundamentally the same. And something really shifted in our culture, I think, when John Gray wrote this book, Men are from Mars and women are from Venus. If you've never read the book, this is the basic thesis of the book. It's the idea that men and women, the way they think, the way they behave, are so fundamentally different that it's almost as though they were raised and nurtured and grew up on different planets. It's like men were, were developed and nurtured and grew on the planet Mars, and women were on a neighboring planet, but completely different. And so when women and men get together, there is this huge clash of cultures. And John Gray's belief was that if men and women can learn how the other sex thinks and processes and behaves, that there can be a lot better communication, there can be a lot better relationships in marriage, and that a lot of things can be, can be healed through that. Now, John Gray is not a Christian author, and I don't agree with everything he says, but uh, there were some good things that really harmonized with what the Bible teaches about the differences between men and women. One of the chapters, for me, uh, really helped me understand my wife. Uh, We read this probably five, six years after we had been married, and uh, if you've read it, you might remember the chapter on how men and women tally points in their relationships. Remember this part? Because points are important. Now, I will, I will paint you a little bit of a picture. Um, I am a man, and so my point system kind of goes like this. If I have a good friend, and we're doing things together, every time my friend does something really well, he gets a point. Uh, and, and lots of repeated good things might gain five, six, seven, eight, nine points. But if my friend behaves badly he will lose a point, okay? Now, for instance, uh, this summer, my friend Casey and I started golfing together. Casey's been attending Connect for about a year. And, uh, and, and last summer, Casey found out I was a golfer, so he asked me if we could go golfing. And so we went together, and we golfed pretty much through the summer every, every chance we got. Now, a- as a friend to Casey... Uh, I showed up on time the first time, and we golfed. I showed up on time, and we golfed the second time. And this could go on indefinitely, and, and repeated good behavior, you know, would earn me points. Now, if one day I showed up for golf, and I was in a bad mood, this did not happen, by the way. But if, if I showed up for golf one day with Casey, and I just had a bad day, and my golf game wasn't going well, and I lost my temper, threw my clubs in the creek, and just, just blew it, and used foul language, and accosted Casey as a person, I would lose one point. And, uh, and the, the points would go down to maybe I earned five, and I'd lose one. So, so when I called Casey next time to golf, uh, and I'd say, Casey, you want to golf? He would say, well, Russ still has four points. I will golf with him today. And, and so the way guys work is if you, if you behave badly enough times that you get a negative score, then the relationship may be 
unrepairable, okay? Now, that's the way guys work. Now, women work differently, according to John Gray. And uh, I have had experience in my marriage that would affirm this. With women, everything you do good earns you a point. And so you might accumulate 10, 15, 20, 25 points in your relationship with a woman. But as soon as you do one thing bad, you lose all of the points. Men, did you notice it was the women who were clapping? I lost all of my points with my wife yesterday. Uh, Christmas time, we got a new board game that's called Ticket to Ride. I know some of you. Yes, great board game. And uh, some friends of ours introduced us to this game, and we have become obsessed with Ticket to Ride. The TV hasn't gone on since we got this this board game. We're just playing every moment, spare moment that we have. We'll play partial games and and race back to the house and, you know, and and all this stuff. And and the way the, the game works, if you're not familiar with this game, is there's a big board with a map on it, and you're building trains across the country, and you're connecting trains, and it's a, a game of strategy, kind of like Risk and sort of like Monopoly. It's kind of a cross of all these games, but it's a train game. And, uh, and the goal is to earn the most amount of points by connecting all these cities and all this stuff. Well, part of the strategy is making sure you get your routes that are assigned to you before your opponent does. And Chris and I have played this game now since Christmas, I don't know, probably 15 or 20 times. And we have had so much fun, and it's been great. And then yesterday we were playing... And uh, Chris had her trains over on this part of the board, and then she had a set of trains over on this part of the board. I was calculating my points in this particular game, and I knew that I was going to lose badly. And so she played, and all of a sudden I realized her trains that needed to connect were within one car of connecting. And I looked in my hand, and I had the card that could completely block her so she couldn't connect her trains. And I thought for a moment, is this a good idea? And I said, because I am a man, yes, it is a good idea. And I played my card, and I played my train, and she looked at me like I had slit her throat. And then I immediately felt guilty, and more than the guilt, I felt fearful. And so I said, would you like me to retract that play? And she said, nope, nope, you've just changed the entire game. And she set her jaw, and we, we finished the game, and sure enough, that one play had ensured that I would win and she would lose. And it wasn't pretty. <laughs> so then I said, well, let's play another game. And she said, and here's, here's where the point things come in. We had played this game, what did I say, 15, 20 times since Christmas? She said, I'm not sure I want to play this game anymore if that's the way you're going to play. (laughs) Because up until now, we had played a gentlemanly game, and you only played where you needed to play. We, We didn't, it wasn't cutthroat. But if I was going to play cutthroat, I lost all of my points, and we were done with the game. And, and I was fearful that we would never play the game again. So uh, the end of the story is we talked it through and we played another game and I will never do that again. 
because you lose all your points. If you do anything wrong with a woman, you lose all your points. Men, are you hearing me? Now, let me ask you this morning, whether you are male or female, how do you believe fundamentally inside of your, inside of your inner being, how do you believe the point system works in your relationship with God? If men are from Mars and women are from Venus, God is from out there somewhere, does he, in your mind, does he use the point system so that if you do so many good things and so many bad things that they just kind of weigh each other out? You've probably heard that philosophy from lots of people. Lots of people in the world believe that if you're just a little bit better than you are bad, your good deeds are better than your bad things, that you're going to get to heaven and you're going to be okay. Uh, Lots of people believe that. Lots of people, and, and probably many of you in this room, feel this way, even if your mind tells you differently, you feel that you have done something, maybe just one thing, that is so offensive to God that he has wiped out all of your points and there is nothing you can do to ever really reconcile your relationship with God. Many people feel that way. They might not articulate it out loud, but there's an emotion that makes you feel that way. And, and, I, and I would just like you to just for a moment take a little bit of personal inventory and ask yourself, how do you feel God relates to you when it comes to a point system, are you the good and bad and, and even it out? Or are you the one thing has completely wiped out your points? Where are you at personally when it comes to God? The truth of the matter is, when it does come to God, he's not from Mars or Venus. And as we're going to see today, what the Bible tells us is that if you do anything wrong whatsoever, no matter how small... You are deserving of eternity in hell. You have no points if you have ever offended God at all. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came and died this horrific death on the cross in our place so that we could be reconciled to God and we don't have to worry about the points because of the grace of Jesus. So if men are from Mars and women are from Venus, God is in a whole different dimension and points just don't matter to God. But there's a whole lot of stuff we need to understand about that whole system. And that's what I want to talk with you about today. Last week I shared with you a message uh, that, that I felt like just put us on a path of somewhere we're going in these next six weeks. If you weren't here last Sunday, I hope that you will listen to the podcast. You can access it through our website, connectchurchonline.com, but I shared with you about how our flesh, this body that we live in, has desires that God created, and, and those desires can become sinful, or they can become offensive to God if we don't keep those desires within specific boundaries. And today I want to talk about those boundaries in particular, and those boundaries are called the law. In the Bible, the technical term for these boundaries is the law. And so we're going to talk about that today. And and I hope that by the end of this message, you're going to have a real clear understanding of how this, this flesh that we live in interacts with the law that God revealed. And, uh, and then from there, we're going to go to some other really cool stuff. So I want to start by talking this morning about where the law came from. 
where the law came from. And if you've ever read the Old Testament, you may remember that in Exodus chapter 20, there is a wonderful story about Moses going up on the mountain and receiving the law from Yahweh God or Jehovah God. And we have seen this in popular culture. Charlton Heston brought out the Ten Commandments on these slabs of stone. The Bible says literally that God wrote those Ten Commandments in stone with his finger. And I believe that those tablets literally existed and that God wrote them and that this law came from God. Now I asked my young friend Ty if she would help me this morning. Are you ready, Ty? I'm going to have you stand on this chair. Come on over here, sweetheart. Can you get up? Have you all met Ty? Are those the best-looking shoes you've ever seen? And Ty has worked very hard this week, haven't you? And I asked her if she knew the Ten Commandments. And before this week, she didn't know them, but this morning she's going to share them with all of you in case some of you don't know the Ten Commandments, all right? How many of you could say them all ten? All right, you're going to teach us all, Ty. All right. Okay, what's commandment number one? Put God first. Put God first. Excellent. And number two? Uh, (laughs) Worship God only. Worship God only. Good. And number three? Use God's name with respect. Use God's name with what? Respect. With respect. Excellent. It's very important how we use God's name, isn't it? All right. And what's number four? Remember God's Sabbath day. Remember God's Sabbath day. And it's important that we take a day of rest to worship and remember God. Number five. Honor your parents. Ooh. Is that one a hard one for you? No. No. Because she is a little angel. <laughs> do, you, do you ever get in trouble from your mom? Mm, sometimes. Sometimes. Do you ever get stuck in the no-no chair? Oh, sometimes. Yeah. So that's what number five is all about, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, number six. Number six. Do not kill. Do not kill. (laughs) Mom's sign over here was this. (laughs) What's number seven? Be faithful in your marriage. Be faithful in your marriage. Good. And number eight? Do not steal. Do not steal. And number nine? Do not lie. Do not lie. That one's really important for young ladies, isn't it? Yes, very important. And number 10? Do not... This one was a hard one, wasn't it? Do not be... Do not be envious of others. Do not be envious. And what does envious mean? Jealous. Don't be jealous. Ty didn't know the word envious, so... And the other word that lots of the older people learned was do not covet, right? And so that's important. All right. Was that fun to learn all those? Those are good rules to learn for your whole life, aren't they, Ty? All right, give Ty a hand. Ty worked very hard learning those this week. I really appreciate it. So so, uh, the law came literally from God. And, And those Ten Commandments 
weren't all that God revealed to, to Moses. And if you've ever tried to read the first five books of the Bible, you'll know that when you get to Exodus chapter 20 and then you keep reading, you can get really bogged down because there's rules and regulations and all this kind of stuff about what to eat and how to dress and who you can sleep with and who you can't sleep with. And I mean, it just goes on and on and on, all of this stuff. In fact, at the time of Jesus... Jews who were very devout carefully obeyed and memorized not 10 commandments. They memorized 613 commandments. 613. And good Jewish boys knew every single one of those 613. And then the Pharisees came along. And they were the teachers of the law who were very concerned that Jewish men and women never violate any of those 613 laws. And so they developed something that is called the Talmud. And many of you have probably heard that word, the Talmud. The Talmud was basically a commentary on the law. And what the Pharisees said was that the Talmud put a fence around the law. So there were 613 commands that you had to keep. And in addition to that, there were the fences that you had to know about that just made sure that you didn't even come close to violating any of those 613 things. And so by the time Jesus came, there were a lot of people in Judaism who were just bogged down and weighed down with memorizing, learning, following the law and the condemnation of knowing that it was literally impossible for anybody to do it perfectly. It was a hard burden to bear. Now the Apostle Paul, who wrote uh, in the first century and he wrote much of the New Testament, tells us that there are two problems with the law. And this is in your notes. If you're writing things down, you can You can write this down. There's two problems with the law. And the first one that he identifies in Galatians chapter 3 is that the law puts us under a curse. The law puts us under a curse. Galatians 3 and verse 10 says this. For all who rely on on the works of the law are under a curse because it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Did you get the first underline, the first fill in the blank? Did we get behind a little bit? Back that up. Would you gibber to that first one that says the Hebrew word for law is Torah? I think maybe uh, we didn't get that. And so if you're filling in your blanks, you can get that. The Hebrew word for law is Torah, which literally means instruction. Okay, now if you go back... Gibber to Galatians 3, verse 10. This is the curse. Would you read this verse out loud with me? Would you do that together, everybody reading out loud? For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. The curse is basically this. If you offend in one area, you are guilty of breaking the entire law. In other words, if you are trying to earn points with God by keeping the rules, you can't do it because all of us at one time or another have broken at least one of the commandments. At least one of those 613, we have failed. 
And so we are under this curse. That's the first problem that Paul sees with the law. Here's the second one. Paul says in Romans chapter 5 that the law arouses sinful passions in our flesh. The law arouses sinful passions in our flesh. Now I want you to see some of these verses from Romans chapter 7. I'm going to start reading at verse 5. Paul says this, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. And then I want to jump down to verse 7. He says, For I would not have known what it is to covet. Ty's word was to be jealous. I wouldn't have known what it was to be jealous if the law, if the Ten Commandments had not said, you shall not covet, you shall not be jealous. I wouldn't have even known that that existed. I wouldn't have known to be jealous. Last week we talked about Adam and Eve eating that forbidden fruit. Eve wouldn't have even desired to eat that particular fruit if God had not said, that's the one you won't eat. And if the serpent hadn't come and tempted her to eat that very one. This is what Paul is saying. Verse 8. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive in me and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, it killed me. Now, there's a lot of language there. Let me paint you a little bit of, uh, of a picture from uh, my experience this last week. This is true no matter what the sin is in your life. Uh, through the Christmas season, I enjoyed Christmas and helped myself to lots of Christmas candy, cookies, and all things yummy. And many of you probably did as well. And like many of you, on the 1st of January, I decided I am going to lose weight. And, and part of the impetus was Chris also said, we are going to lose weight. And so after our New Year's Eve party, Chris went through the kitchen and carefully purged everything she could think of out of the kitchen that was bad for us to eat. And we're going to do a better job. We're going to drop some pounds and we're going to get ourselves healthy. Many of you are on that same paradigm, yes? And so Sunday, last Sunday, I did not touch the donuts. I ate some fruit instead. Not what I wanted to do, but that's what I chose to do last Sunday. And Monday in particular, boy, I was on, and it was fruits and vegetables and lean meats, and I was being so good. Tuesday came around, and I ate lunch, and I, it was an appropriate lunch, and I finished that meal, and I thought, something sweet would taste really good in my mouth. <laughs> but something sweet had been forbidden for several days, and, uh, and so I didn't know what I could find. So I opened the refrigerator to see what I could find. And I found a leftover bottle can of whipped cream, which I love whipped cream. And then I went to the cupboard and I found a bag of leftover s'mores from the summertime that I think Chris forgot was in, in the cupboard. And I took out the graham crackers and I took the can of whipped cream and I thought, I'm just going to eat one. <laughs> because how bad can one be? I even looked at the calorie count on the whipped cream, and you can have like a whole gob of whipped cream. It's like 25 calories. No big deal, right? Well, uh, 
Long story short, I had one and then I had another and I polished off the whole sleeve of graham crackers and the entire can of whipped cream. <laughs> now, I wouldn't normally do that, right? That, that's not the, I, I, don't just, I don't just eat a whole bag of graham crackers and a whole can of whipped cream. That's not what I do. But when I deprive myself and I become focused on what I can't have, there is something in my flesh that makes me want it all the more, right? Now, take this out of dieting because that's really not a big deal. Take this out of dieting and, and apply it to your own life. What is it that, that you know God says no to that you just, you just want it so bad and there's this something inside of you that the, the forbidden nature of that thing is just... just making you want it so bad. Paul says, this is what the law does. As I was thinking about this, I, I was trying to think about how I could illustrate this for you. And, and, and I came up with this, this idea that, that actually, before I was even working on this, this message, I came up with this thing that was just even helping me think about this. And it, it's two circles. And if you can imagine that this is this is what God created that the Bible calls your flesh. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a circle. And, and Paul tells us, we're not going to go there, but Paul tells us that the way God created us was good and perfect. And, and when, when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, this flesh was beautiful and perfect. And the desires that this flesh has, there's nothing wrong with those desires. We're, we're created with specific desires that God made. We desire to eat. We need to eat in order to, to survive. We have a desire for relationships, and we need relationships in order to survive. People that live in isolation, they're not healthy. We have a desire for a sexual relationship, and that desire was created by God, and it's a good thing. But then there's another circle and that's the circle of the law. And what Paul tells us is that the law intersects with our flesh. And there's this whole area right here, which is the area we live in. And where the law and the flesh intersects is the reality that we all live in. And that's the desire that the law arouses from this flesh. See, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing evil about the law, there's nothing evil about this flesh, but the law, Paul says, arouses all kinds of evil desires in our flesh. And we have a big problem. We have a big problem because of that desire that is aroused by the law. And so what happens is we do something that offends God, and so we decide we're going to make some sort of boundary for ourselves that prevents that from happening again. And so like the Pharisees who put fences around the 613 laws in the Old Testament, we start putting fences around ourselves too, don't we? This has been the experience from the beginning of time. Uh, in Paul's day, people were putting fences around themselves and the big one everybody was hung up on was circumcision. Are you circumcised? Are you not circumcised? And, and it was just this big deal that everybody was making. In our, in our culture today, I don't think anybody cares. 
But we still have the same thing. And if you've been around church people very long, you know that everybody's putting fences around everybody all the time. And in my experience growing up in, in, in a restrictive, legalistic environment, some of the, things, some of the fences were dancing. Um, you know, teenagers shouldn't dance because if they dance, they might get aroused and then they're going to have sex. So dancing is bad. And, uh, and, and we, put, we put boundaries around other things like, uh, in the real old days, boy, you can't play cards because if you play cards, you might be tempted to gamble. And gamble is really bad and you'll waste your money and your, your wife won't have anything to eat. So we're not going to play cards. And that's one of those fences that people erected. And today there's all kinds of fences in, depending on what religious group you're in. And the reality is all of those fences, whatever it is, only serves to arouse the desire even more. And what Paul says is trying to obey the law in your own strength will never get you anywhere in your spiritual life. So making up more laws, making up more rules, building fences won't get you very far. And that idea is probably what inspired this little video clip about the Ten Commandments with Mel Brooks. Take a look at this. Moses went to the mountain, and God spoke unto him. Moses, this is the Lord thy God commanding you to obey my law. Do you hear me? Yes, I hear you, I hear you. A deaf man could hear you. What? Nothing, I don't hear forget it. Oh, Lord, why have you chosen me? What would you have me do for you? I shall give you my laws and you shall take them unto the people. Yes, Lord! Lord, I shall give these laws unto thy people. Hear me! Oh, hear me! All pay heed! The Lord, the Lord Jehovah, has given unto you these fifteen... Ten, ten commandments for all to obey. And this is the problem with the law, isn't it? That that if we don't, if we're not successful, we make a few more, and then we get tired of those, so we just drop them off, and we don't bother with those anymore. And it just seems like in, in the Christian world, there's all these shifting sands of what I can do, what I can't do, what I should do. Here's, here's where I want us to get today and what I want you to understand. And this is in your notes if you want to write this down. Jesus frees us from the law. Jesus frees us from the law. And there's four there's four passages from the Bible that I want to read to give us some clarity on what this means. The first one is from Romans chapter 8. It says this, By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. What does that mean? If you want to jot a note down just to clarify this verse, this means that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we are declared righteous. 
If you're trying to earn points with God like you earn points with your wife or with your husband, you can quit trying. You don't have to earn anything. It's been, it's been fulfilled in full by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus frees us from the law. The second one I want you to see is Galatians 5, verse 13. Paul says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now this is important. Jesus frees us from the law, but Paul understands that we could take this to the point where we just say, wow, if I crave it, I will do it. If it feels good, do it. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul isn't saying that your freedom gives you a license to behave any way you want to, but he does say there's freedom. We're going to come to some clarity here on that in just a second. Hang with me. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I have come to fulfill them. Would you say that word out loud? Fulfill. Say it again. Fulfill. What does that mean? I'm going to unpack that for you in the next couple of weeks. Jesus didn't come to just say all of that stuff doesn't matter anymore, but he said he came to make sure that you and I could live lives that were pleasing to God by fulfilling all of it. Jesus fulfilled it all, and he gives us the power and, and, and the new paradigm in which we can fulfill the law in our lives as well. Let me read some more from Galatians chapter 5. We already read this first part. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Here's one of the keys. Jesus himself said that the whole law is summed up in the law of love. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Freedom comes when we learn that we don't have to be bound up with all these rules and regulations, but the most important thing and the only thing is learning how to love God well and learning to love one another well. I want to jump down to verse 16. Paul goes on to say, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The next two weeks, this is where we're going. Next week, I'm going I'm to teach on what it means to walk in the Spirit. That may be a new, a new concept for lots of you. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Uh, and then the week after that, I'm going to talk about what it means to live by the law of love, the, the law that just prompts us to do right things in relationship with God and other people. You see, all, all, the, all the boundaries, all the fences we build, they don't matter. In fact, they're not helpful. But learning to love well and learning to walk in the power of the Spirit helps us to live well. Let me, just before we go to our next steps, let me give you kind of a practical application that happened to me this last week. Um, most of you know, uh, in your own experience, that there is a lot of garbage on TV, Right? And, and television and movies is one of the areas where churches have traditionally built lots of fences, right? Lots of fences. And, and when it comes to movies, for a long time, all the youth pastors all over the nation were saying, thou shalt not go to R-rated movies. 
And all the while, young people were going to PG movies and getting their minds all filled with junk, right? And, and so back in the old days, it was don't go to movies at all. But young people were seeing other things that filled their minds with junk. And so the fences weren't really working. And the same is true about TV. Uh, I, I have learned uh, from, from trial and error that there are stations on our TV that I just need to stay away from because it just fills my mind with junk that leads me to temptation and, and all kinds of garbage can come out of my life if I'm not watching things that are wholesome and good. And so uh, in an attempt to build uh, boundaries in my life, I'll say, that station is bad, that station is bad, I'm not going to watch that one, I'm not going to watch that one. And you know what happens is, is if, if, I just, if I'm just using fences and boundaries, I can flip through the channels and I can find something on one of the allowed channels that is bad for my spirit as well. But I've been praying lately more and more and more that God will fill me with such an awareness of the Holy Spirit that when anything comes on TV that is not good for me, that the Holy Spirit will prompt me to change the channel, no matter what it is. And, and this is what it means to walk in the Spirit. I'm going to unpack this more next week. But uh, this week, something just like that happened because I, 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 just, I want to make sure that my mind is dwelling on good things and wholesome things. So there are channels I just stay away from. But this week, I was watching HGTV, okay? Now, how bad can HGTV be? But I was watching one, one afternoon, and I was doing some busy work on my computer, and I just had the TV on, and, and something popped up, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, you don't need to watch that. And, and it was so clear. It was as if God was in the room with me. And you know what? HGTV isn't on one of my forbidden channels. I could have sat there and said, well, I kind of like this. But I just turned it off, and I said, I'm not going to watch that. And it's not that anything bad would have happened, probably. But I know what feeds my spirit. I know what drags my spirit down. I know what draws me into areas of temptation. And the Holy Spirit said in an instant, change the channel, turn it off, whatever. This is not healthy for you. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. Not that I disconnect cable. Not that I turn the TV off and never watch TV. Not that I take my, my child safety locks and turn HGTV off. I, you, do, do you hear what I'm saying? Jesus frees us from the law and he gives us the Holy Spirit that acts as a guide and enables us to live a life that is honoring to the Lord. Because laws don't work, boundaries don't work, because we'll always find a way around them, right? Isn't that the truth? We'll always find a way around them. So all that said, let me give you five next steps. This is a lot of them. I don't usually give you this many. But I've got five today. Number one, if you were here last week, we passed out cards that had a part of Galatians chapter 5 on them. And I asked you last week to read this, this, this Bible card every day this week. Some of you still have them. If you haven't picked one up, we've got more in the back if you were gone last week. I want to ask you, if you really want to get serious about this stuff and, and learn what it means to live by the Spirit, pick up one of those cards. And this week, would you keep reading that same passage of Scripture? I hope you're not bored. I went through a period of about four months that I read Galatians chapter 5 every single day. I could almost quote it for you. But when you get the Word of God into your brain, it, it does something inside of you and it starts 
producing fruit in your life. And, and, and if you're walking with us, I hope you will do this every day. Read Galatians chapter 5, those specific verses, and the cards are back there. Secondly, I want to ask you this week if you will memorize Romans 5.13, and it says this. I don't remember if this is up on the screen. It says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to the flesh. I'm sorry, that is not Romans 5.13. That's Galatians 5.13. Would you make that, change that to Galatians 5.13? Galatians 5.13. So those are a couple of things that you can do. Now, number three. This is a little harder. I want to encourage you as a next step to stop making laws for yourself. Stop making laws for yourself. And equally as important, stop making laws for everybody else. I think sometimes we're better at making laws for somebody else than we are even for our own selves, aren't we? And you know what? If you can't walk by the, by the law, you're not going to help anybody else walk by the law by drawing boundaries for them as well. But number five, this is the crux of it all. Walk by the Spirit and follow the law of love. And like I said before, if you don't quite know what that means, the next couple of weeks in our teaching time, we're going to be talking about those things, and, uh, and it's going to be powerful. I don't, want to put, I don't want to put Glenda on this spot, but I'm going to. Uh, Glenda shared this morning, we meet for prayer in here every morning before our services, and, and we were sharing prayer requests around the circle, and Glenda said she needed prayer for her family. And she said, I'm so thankful that I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit because he is helping me deal with my problems so powerfully. And, uh, and that was just a confirmation, Glenda, to me that this is what we all need. We just need the power of the Holy Spirit to, to help us deal with whatever junk comes our way. And that'll be what we'll talk about next week. And we need to learn what it really means to love. Does this ring true with anybody this morning?